and welcome to the Destiny Church Podcast. We trust that this will be a great encouragement to you and build your faith. Enjoy today's message. High five somebody, take a seat. So glad you decided to come worship with us here at Destiny Church. Hey, this is the first week that we're doing something kind of cool as a church. How many know we got to... uh, we, we have to pursue the youth of this generation. Amen? We got to raise them up in the Lord. They got smartphones, many of which we did not have. All the more reason to get these kids to Jesus. Praise God. So at this time, the really for the coming Sundays, we're going to dismiss all of our sixth through eighth graders from the service after worship. You guys are going to go hang out with Pastor Duel. You're going to have a lesson um, and then maybe play some games and, and hang out and have a good time together. So if you're in sixth through eighth grade, you are dismissed at this time. The rest of y'all, I want to say welcome to Destiny Church. We're one church, two locations. Uh, pastor Chad is our lead pastor. He oversees our Republic campus. My name is Mark. I'm the campus pastor here at Marshfield. Destiny Church, how do we feel about our first time guests? Come on, we love y'all. We are so grateful you decided to come worship with us. If it is your first time, I have one job for you. There's welcome cards in the seat back in front of you. I would love for you to take that welcome card, fill out that welcome card, and then either drop it in our offering or in our welcome table. This gives us the opportunity as a church to connect with everybody that God's bringing through these doors. We want to know your story. We want to know what brought you into our doors. And uh, yeah, just get to know you a little bit. And it gives us that unique opportunity. So maybe we don't get to touch base with you today, but maybe throughout the week that solidifies that opportunity. So do that. Um, if you don't know, we've been in a series we've called the life of Christ. And I, amen. And I think the um, more appropriate name for the series would almost be the teachings of Jesus as we're not just looking at Jesus was born here. Here's what he did in his teen years. Parents left him at the temple, right? And, and then he moved on. Uh, really, we're looking at the things that Jesus taught to his disciples and everybody else and taking an in-depth look. Is this series blessed y'all? Come on, have you enjoyed it? I'm, I'm so glad. Uh, what We've you, taken the time to put together devotional videos to send to people every single day of every single week as we've gone through this series. And if that's something you'd like to be a part of, if you'd like to get those devotionals sent to your phone, you can text the keyword Jesus to 417-765-0331. Okay. And you can jump on that Jesus journey with us. It's been good. Um, My key scripture this morning is found in Matthew 5. If you got your Bibles, you can turn with me to Matthew 5. But really the context of this moment and the context of this verse, Jesus separate him, separates himself from the people. He goes up on the mountainside. His disciples come with him. He sits down and he begins to teach them. And Jesus talks about a wide variety of different uh, lessons and principles. But this is the first thing that Jesus says in this Sermon on the Mount, so to speak. It's Matthew 5, 3, and it says this. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Everyone say kingdom. Kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Let's look at Matthew 6, 33 too, while we're at it. It's just in the next chapter, but it says this, but seek first his kingdom. Everyone say kingdom. kingdom. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. This morning, I wanna take some time to talk about the kingdom of God. Let's talk about the kingdom of God. That'd be all right. All right, let's pray. Jesus, we just uh, invite you into this moment. I pray that you would prepare the hearts of your people 
as the seed of your word goes forth. I pray that it would take root in our hearts. It would grow to produce fruit in our lives. We want to experience transformation this year. Uh, but that's got to be the work of your Holy Spirit at work within us. Help us to not just hear your word, but empower us to live out these truths. Again, transform us into the image of your son, Jesus, in your holy and mighty name. We all said, amen. This week I went and got breakfast with a guy and we were sitting down, we, we were sitting down eating um, and I, I was enjoying an omelet. It was incredible. And I told him a little bit about just, you know, meaningless, uh, what's the word? Details of the story. There you go. My, my omelet. I enjoyed it. But I started telling him a little bit about my ministry journey. And as many of you know, I was born and raised in Rhode Island, about 20 minutes outside of Providence, Rhode Island. I, I moved out to Missouri in 2012. So as I did some research this week and looked at some polls, I found that in 2013, Providence, Rhode Island was voted the least biblically minded city in America in, in 2013. So when I moved, Providence, Rhode Island was 20 minutes from where I was born and raised, right? Then I moved out to Springfield, Missouri, which is on the top 10 most biblically minded cities in America list. So when you talk about a cultural difference, I experienced it in the full. Like you have, you, you, you have to think, this isn't just like a little different. Least biblically minded city in America. Where there is no truth, what do you think the culture looks like? That's, that's what we're coming from. That's what I was born and raised in. So I had some dysfunction in me, some confusion from the culture that I was so much a part of. I remember coming out, you know, coming out from, Rhode Island in 2012, going to Evangel University, a Christian school where I was coming from. All my friends said that I was the Jesus freak and that I was like super spiritual. So I'm thinking I'm doing pretty good, right? So I come out to Evangel University to the Bible Belt. They got Christian music playing in McDonald's. And I'm like, don't y'all get arrested for that? Like what is happening? How are y'all doing that? I'd be standing in a group of students at Evangel just talking and I'm just cuss words are coming out of my mouth. Everybody's looking at me like I'm crazy. I'm like, what? Like, what do you, what's, what's the big deal? Cultural difference. I was a little contaminated. The Lord has sanctified those parts of me since then. Praise God. He's, his work has taken place. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I continue to look at, <laughs> I continue to look at some of the polls that I found in 2017, which is the most recent one I could find. Providence, Rhode Island was the third least biblically minded city in America. So at some point revival broke out in Rhode Island. Praise God. They're not as sinful as they once were. Now, the reason I tell you about that culture is, is because in a least biblically minded city, you can imagine there's not a whole lot of church action taking place because it's just not prioritized by the people. So for me, like was never really engraved in a part of a youth group or youth ministry. Pastor Mark didn't get that. I didn't go to like church camp or summer camp. Nobody was doing that. That wasn't just something we did. Like I, I, I did go to church on Sundays and started playing the drums in, in church. But 
Outside of that, there wasn't really a whole lot going on, but there was this one conference that this church called New Life in Rhode Island would do. And they had this massive conference. It was just happened to take place in Rhode Island, started with this kid. And man, he just like, he had connections, started bringing in really well-known world-class speakers and preachers and pastors. And, you know, now they're filling up an arena with this conference. And, uh, you know, I had the opportunity to go to this conference. This is called the Awakening Conference. A couple of weeks ago, I told you about how the girl had the Holy Ghost shakes and they wanted me to catch her when she was going to fall. And I'm like, I am not prepared for that. Okay. But he, but here I am at this conference. And I remember this, this was kind of a, a big, a, an impactful moment in my life going to this conference and got to gather with the people of God and, and, and really experience to just fix my eyes on Jesus, but see that wow, like there are people who love Jesus and who are serving him and like, okay, this is, I don't know, it was, it was new for me. I just wasn't used to it. And I remember being at this youth conference and watching these guys on stage who look normal and talk normal and they weren't in white robes or anything like that, given the good news. And I'm just thinking like, wow, I didn't even know that. I didn't even know that serving Jesus could look like this. And I remember watching these guys and something in, in my own heart in my own mind was like, I think that's what I'm supposed to do. I think that's what my, uh, I think that's what my calling is. And something started to stir within me. Something started to stir within my spirit. And, you know, God would continue to affirm that calling on my life. But my experience with ministry and in the ministry was watching these dudes bring the gospel to a room full of people, eventually an arena full of people. And I'm thinking, man, that's what it's going to look like for me. God's calling me to preach. I thought when God called me to preach, I was going to travel around the nation. I was going to fill up arenas, preach to the masses. Thousands were going to get saved. Billy Graham was... He was speaking before me, opening for me, you know, like <laughs> Billy Graham dreams, baby. That's what I had going into it. I even one time had a guy come up to me after service and, hey, uh, I'm not saying it's not true, but he said, Mark, I had a vision. You were speaking in arenas full of people and people were coming to know God. And, and I was like, wow. <laughs> and, uh. You ever had a moment in life or, or you ever walked through a season in life where your expectation doesn't line up with your reality? Maybe those two things disconnect. Yeah. I thought my first time preaching was going to be in an arena. And I'm in a little white church in the middle of nowhere, Missouri. I don't even know how I ended up in Missouri. And there's four kids on a pew. And I'm looking them in the eye like, all right, this is different than I thought. Not bad, just different. <laughs> Okay, that was me, man. F figuring, figuring it out. Um, you know, I knew that the Lord had anointed and, and called me to preach, and uh, I, I was looking forward to that. But it looked a lot different than I thought. But I, I tell you all that because I'm, I'm sitting with this guy at breakfast, and we're talking about our expectations for life, and, and just you know, all, all different types of stuff. And I said, man, I thought that ministry was going to look like this, was going to look like this, and it, and it didn't. I said, but as I've grown and matured spiritually, believe it or not, I really don't have this burning desire to travel around the nation and speak to arenas full of people. God, if you want to do that, by all means. But, but my favorite thing in life now is to actually just sit in a small circle of men, talk about Jesus, be vulnerable, 
cry a little bit and, 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 and watch spiritual maturity really develop in, in the lives of the people around me. Uh, it, it's, it's really become that. But I, I think many of us in life, we fall into this headspace thinking um, like, if I can just, if I could just get my body to look a certain way, then I would be content and I would be good. I think sometimes we walk through things, you're like, if I could just get into a marriage where my spouse would, would act this way, then I would be content. Then I would be happy. Then I, if I just started making 20 to 30,000 more dollars a year, then I would be good. Things would be straight. If I was preaching in arenas full of people, then I would feel like I made it. Then I would feel content. If this in my life would just get bigger and better, I'd be good. I'd be happy. I'd be content. And if we're, if we're not careful, we can begin to live this life in pursuit of things that look good, in, in pursuit of things that sound good, in pursuit of things that feel good or whatever it is. Yet what we will find is even when we step into those things, maybe we end up accomplishing those things or fulfilling those things, but we will find that they do not satisfy and the happiness and the joy and the contentment they provide is temporary. It fades. And I'm left with the discontentment that I once wrestled with. I'm left, I'm confronted with the, even after I, I, I achieve, I'm still left with the insecurities that I once felt. I found the new spouse, but to be honest with you, Pastor Mark, the grass ain't greener. <laughs> I heard a couple silent amens. Be careful, be quiet. Right? What I've found to be a common denominator in almost all of humanity is our is this natural tendency that we all share. And it's this tendency to let ourselves down and, and fall short of our own expectations and sometimes even question the value that we add to life ourselves. Anyone encouraged? Come on. At some point, we're all confronted with this massive hole we just can't seem to fill with our achievement and with our performance. And maybe we even wrestle with this thought of like, if people actually knew how dysfunctional, how broken, how selfish and wretched I really am, it would ruin me. But thank God I have everybody fooled. But you know, security, this section over here. Glory. I'm thankful for an enthusiastic church. Praise God. Thank God we have everybody fooled, but you know how you, you know who you don't have fooled though? You know who sees the perversion of, in, in your heart? You know who sees the greed that's hidden? You know who sees the anger that's hidden? There's a story where this group of friends, this is in the scriptures, group of friends, they have a paralyzed friend on a mat. They bring this guy on the mat, lay him down in front of Jesus, and, and they want to see him healed. So Jesus goes to heal this guy. But what Jesus actually says first is, son, your sins are forgiven. And when he says, son, your sins are forgiven, there's religious leaders who are, are in close proximity. And in, in their thought, they don't even say it out loud, but they just start thinking, who does this guy think he is that he has authority to forgive sin? And it says that Jesus heard their thoughts. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus replied. I, I say that to say, Jesus knows your thoughts. Jesus knows your sins, right? God is aware of your secret perversions, your secret anger, your secret greed. Our hearts, Genesis tells us, our hearts are bent towards evil from the minute we're born, right? 
And, I, and what I'm trying to get at is we are all, what we find, what we wrestle with is the fact that we're spiritually bankrupt. We're bankrupt. Yet after Jesus assembles his disciples in Matthew 5, he goes up on the side of the mountain and he begins to teach them. And the first thing that comes out of his mouth is blessed are the spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what does that, what does that word blessed mean? What does it even really mean? In its simplest form, the word blessed really means happy. It's this deepest, deepest divine sense of joy, right? And then, and then we look at poor in spirit. And poor in spirit is not a confession that I'm insignificant or I'm without value. It is rather an acknowledgement of the fact that I'm sinful, I'm rebellious, and I am utterly without moral virtue, adequ- virtues adequate to commend God right? I just, I am spiritually broken. So it doesn't really seem that poor in spirit and blessed belong in the same sentence. Yet here we find Jesus. The first thing he's saying to his disciples are blessed are the poor in spirit for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Jesus, I'm lost, man. What are you, what do you mean? What are you saying? Jesus is ultimately saying that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God belongs to those who see themselves and are seen by others as having no resource, material or spiritual, to help them before God. God, I got nothing I can give you. I'm, I'm bankrupt. These are the poor to whom Jesus has come to announce good news and to whom the kingdom of heaven belongs. Our, our lack of our lack of resource is actually the thing that leads us into our need for Jesus. It's actually the thing that brings us into our relationship that helps us recognize we need that relationship. God uses our poor in spirit in a really beautiful way, right? So if you're poor in spirit, which we all are, the playing field's fair, you qualify. Amen. Who would have thought that the spiritual bankruptcy you've wrestled with would be the very thing that leads you to the kingdom of heaven? It's so good. Jesus is saying, happy are the broken for their brokenness is not too broken for me. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what is the kingdom of heaven? Pastor Mark Turner, he took some time to talk about this on Wednesday evening when we met in our gathering room for our life groups, but When we think of kingdom of heaven, even that word kingdom, when we think of that word kingdom, I think we think of princess, castle, thorns, big wild thorns growing around the castle, a dragon breathing fire, Prince Charming coming in with a sword, cutting off the dragon's head, cutting through the thorns, sneaking up into the room where the princess is sleeping and kissing her, you know? I didn't write the story, but I do think it's a little creepy. I'm just throwing that out there. <laughs> when we think of kingdom, we, we think of castles and fairy tales and a, in a big structure with a moat in the front or, or whatever it is. But when Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, right? So I think we can take our earthly idea of what we think a kingdom is. And we hear Jesus say kingdom of heaven. And we apply that thought process to the, to Jesus's teaching here. And we think heaven, the kingdom of heaven, heaven, this place far off, you know, beyond space, way way off, eventually we'll experience one day. And I I would say that is a thing in which the, the kingdom of heaven will receive and is a part of the kingdom of heaven. But when Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is there, 
what his listeners would have understood at this time is a, a kingdom is really about not so much a place as much as it is who's in charge. It's not about location. It's about lordship. So if you're in the kingdom of Mark, then your king is Mark and you fall in submission and you serve and you obey Mark, right? But what Jesus is saying, when he says the kingdom of God, he's referring to those who obey God, those who allow God to rule and reign, those whose lives God is the ruler of, the king of. When Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God, they would have understood this principle here. It's not so much about the place, or it's, it's much more about who the kingdom belongs to, right? So knowing, it's, it's about lordship, not location. Knowing the character of God, Jesus is saying the broken are happy because even though they are unfit, blessed is the poor in spirit, the broken are filled with joy because they get to be a part of the kingdom of God, which they know they are unfit for, which they know they can never perform well enough to be a part of. I'd like to highlight a few truths about the kingdom of God in the rest of our time together this morning. Uh, how many know the kingdom of God transforms us? Amen. Jesus tells us a little bit in Luke 17. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn with me there. Luke 17, verse 20, Jesus talking and he says this. Uh, One day the Pharisees asked Jesus, when will the kingdom of God come? Everyone say kingdom. When will the kingdom of God come? And Jesus replied, the kingdom of God can't be detected by visible signs. You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, because it's not about location, it's about lordship, right? You won't be able to say, here it is, or it's over there, for the kingdom of God is already among you. So the religious leaders are like, you know, when, when, when will this kingdom be established on earth? That's what, that's what we're asking you. And Jesus is like, you're missing it. As Christians, we believe that when we surrender our lives to Jesus, when, when we place our faith in Jesus, we receive a new birth, right? We are spiritually reborn. It's not a physical new birth that we go through, but, but our faith, there's a spiritual rebirthing that takes place in us through the power of God's spirit. He makes us new. This is why we have baptisms after service celebrating this. Like I'm in new life. The old is washed away. The old is past. God is doing a new thing in me, right? Um, so Uh, the spirit of God at work within us, it leads us in our obedience to God. The spirit of God partners with us and, and, and helps us to live a life obedient to God. It helps us acknowledge the rule and reign of God. Therefore, now as a Christ follower, as a Jesus follower, as I follow Jesus, I am putting myself under the rule and reign of God. I am a part of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So what Jesus is communicating and what the Pharisees failed to understand is that the kingdom of God is spiritual. So it can be established wherever you find those following Jesus, right? Putting themselves under the rule and reign of God. There's a story in Acts 17. You guys can flip to Acts 17 with me. And I want to share this story really to share one simple principle. This, um, Includes Paul. We've talked a lot about Paul, how he's the most effective evangelist to ever live. And, um, you know, God radically transforms his life. Paul starts to develop and disciple sons in the faith. Just these powerhouse um, 
um, evangelists and guys involved with ministry. And one of those dudes' names is Silas. So here we see Paul and Silas traveling around. It says this, Acts 17. Paul and Silas then travel through the towns of Amphipolis and Apollonia and came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was Paul's custom, he went to the synagogue service for three Sabbaths in a row, and he used the scriptures to reason with the people. Paul goes into the synagogues on mission. Okay? He explained the prophecies that prove the Messiah must suffer and rise from the dead. He said, this Jesus I'm telling you about is the Messiah. And some of the Jews who listened were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with many God-fearing Greek men and quite a few prominent women. What we see is Paul would go into these synagogues and he would use the Old Testament scriptures that they might even use to study. And he would show them how Jesus is in the Old Testament concealed. And he would talk about how Jesus's life revealed these prophecies, right? And, and, and what's happening is people are starting to see their eyes are being open to the truth. They're accepting the message that Jesus really is the Messiah who came to save the sins of the world. And they're placing their faith in him. This is, this is what's taking place, right? But it says, but some of the Jews were jealous. So they gathered some troublemakers from the marketplace to form a mob and start a riot. And they attacked the home of Jason, searching for Paul and Silas so they could drag them out to the crowd. Not finding them there, they dragged out Jason and some other believers instead and took them before the city council. And here's why I wanted to share this story. I thought this was good. Here's what the jealous Jews said. They said, Paul and Silas have caused trouble all over the world, they shouted. And now they're here disturbing our city. Here's what I want to point out. The kingdom of God not only transforms us, but has the ability to transform the world that we're a part of. Amen. What we find is the kingdom of God being established on earth through those who put their faith in Jesus. Not only does the kingdom of God transform us as individuals, but it'll transform the world around us. What we ultimately learn from Jesus through this is that the kingdom of God is taking place now. The kingdom of God is alive and active now. Now, it, this is, you know, this isn't a kingdom that, that will start in the future and we're waiting for the kingdom of God to come. No, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at work right now, right? And we take part in submitting ourselves to him, but there's still more to come for the kingdom of God as well. And that's what we're joyful about. Because in the book of Daniel, we're promised that the kingdom of God is going to be eternal, it's going to last forever. Other things are going to pass away, but the kingdom of God is going to last forever. That's the kingdom we want to be a part of. Amen. So here we see a man named John receives a vision and uh, he writes this out in the last book of the Bible found in Revelation. So I wanted to read a quick snippet from this in Revelation 21, turn to the very back of your Bible, all the way back. Revelation 21, it talks about the kingdom that is coming as well. The fullness of this kingdom we get to experience. He says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, 
God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the order of things has passed away. There will be a day where for the people of God, the kingdom of God, all things will be made new. So considering the kingdom we're a part of, considering what's at hand now, but also what's ahead of us, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, verse 31. Jesus says, so don't worry about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, but your heavenly father, he already knows all your needs. So then Jesus says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. Everyone say kingdom. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he'll give you everything you need. We need to fix our eyes, fix our thoughts, revolve our life around one person, right? One thing. So don't worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will bring its own worries. Today's troubles is enough for today. Seek first the kingdom above all else. So this confronts us, or I think a fruitful question to ask ourselves in this moment is in what ways have we made our lives anything but Christ-centered? Have we taken something like marriage, ordained by God, prepared by God, really to illustrate his relationship with the church? Have we taken something like marriage and instead of seeking first the kingdom, have we made our marriage about our own contentment and what it is or what it isn't? Have we made our occupations about how far we can make it up the ranks? Have, Have we made our occupations about our performance and our value and our significance? Have we been discouraged about certain realities not meeting our expectations and we've had a pity party thinking, poor me, church, it's time we woke up with a fire in our hearts, eyes fixed on Jesus, an undistracted pursuit of the will of God for our lives, for our relationships, for our careers. It's time we walked around like we're a part of a kingdom that's so much greater than anything this world could offer me anyway. It's time we walked around with a mind that knows the kingdom of this earth is temporary. That marriage, temporary. This job, temporary. That achievement, temporary. But there's one thing that is eternal that will last forever. And I feel blessed because I'm a part of that kingdom. And I have no right being a part, yet God in his grace and his kindness and his mercy allowed me to. So I'm walking around blessed. I'm walking around new. I'm walking around transformed and I'm content to just seek the kingdom of God. Would you pray with me? Thank you so much for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give to this ministry. It's because of you that this ministry is possible. You can check out the link in the description to give or visit destinychurch.me slash give. Don't forget to subscribe and share with your friends. We love you and have a blessed week.